Hi, my name's Madalena Kay, and I'm the host of the podcast AI and You, produced by Europod in partnership with Podium Podcast, Agence France Press, and Cora Media. In AI and You, we deal with the history of AI and how it is having an impact on our lives. From social relationships to employment, from climate change to wars and security. Is AI changing our world for the better or the worse? Come and check it out for yourself. Subscribe to AI and You wherever you listen to podcasts. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hi, Amelia. We finally got the word back for the Merkel interview. Good news. They granted us a spot. The interview will take place in two weeks from now. So that leaves you plenty of time to prepare. I'll forward you all the details right away. As already said before, you will only get one question, so you better make it a good one. I really don't need to remind you how many strings I had to pull to get this interview. Keep me posted about your prep, and don't hesitate to check everything with me. All the best, little one. Little one. What a prick. Anyway, time to get to work. I've got some reading to do. I'm off to the public library. Ich diesen Regierungsauftrag... Last time we left off on this. Merkel was about to make history by becoming Germany's first female chancellor. Chancellor Schroeder had called for early elections. So Merkel only had a few months to prepare for her campaign. When the results came in, It was almost a tie. The CDU came first but only 1% ahead of the SPD. When they learned the results, the candidates were on a TV set. And something unexpected happened. Schröder, the SPD leader and outgoing chancellor, lost it. He was all over the place, screaming, referring to Merkel as a younger who couldn't reasonably think of becoming chancellor. His sexism was palpable. He was unimaginably rude. Some spectators actually thought he was drunk. After that night, the SPD had lost in popularity. Its best solution was to agree to form a government in alliance with the CDU. Thus, became the Black and Red Alliance. And this, my friend, is how she became Chancellor. Well played, Angie. My question to Angela Merkel. La mia domanda ad Angela Merkel. Ma question a Angela Merkel. Mi pregunta Angela Merkel. A Europod series. Episode 5. Lisbon Treaty. Angie's treaty? 
Angela Merkel started her chancellorship just months after the collapse of the European Constitution Treaty. Let me refresh your memory. In 2005, after years of discussion and negotiation in Brussels, the EU drafted a European Constitutional Treaty with the aim to fix Brussels' problems and to, eventually, give more political gravitas to the European project. All countries had to sign off on those plans. And while countries asked their parliaments to ratify the treaty, others wished to hold referenda. History decided to derail the outcome. Win the yes needs a no to win. Within 10 days, in late May, June 2005, both the French and the Dutch went no, nay. And just like that, those two no's buried this project of a European constitution. Europe was in a disarray and at a political dead end. To end this political crisis, Europe needed leadership. But Francis Jacques Chirac lost his referendum and was now at the end of his mandate. And most European leaders did not have the political clout and legitimacy for everyone to haggle seriously. Quickly but surely, it seems the opening to fix this crisis will happen in 2007, while Angela Merkel and Germany will coordinate EU countries starting January the 1st of 2007. For half a year, she would be president of the European Union. Quick up on what that means. Every six months, the EU Council is headed by a country. This country is hereby president for half a year until it's another member's turn. No added authority comes with that role. It's rather the opportunity to give the Union an impulse in a certain direction. You get to head the discussions and to act as a kind of coordinator. This presidency arrives right on time for Angie. She knows she can miss it. Why is this crucial? To put it bluntly, if Germany, the biggest power in the European Union, cannot find a solution, no one really can. And this could be the beginning of the end. She calls out EU country leaders, and everybody knows she's indirectly addressing France in particular. Her plan was rather simple. Even if the European constitution failed, some of its ideas are necessary for the EU to work. Therefore, most of them should be recycled into a new treaty. That includes, to some extent, a more federal Europe, with a European Parliament having a say on most European laws, as well as fewer possibilities for EU countries to veto certain decisions. I decided to give Florence Autret another call. She reported extensively on those trialling years, so Merkel was really eager to lead the whole process of a renewal of Europe's political system. Why was that? She wanted to save the federalization input of the Treaty of Lisbon, that is the reinforcement of the EU. Even though she did not trust the European Commission very much, she liked the idea of consolidating and better organizing the institutions. The Treaty of Lisbon that you heard Autre referring to is the culminating point on our timeline. 
and it will take place in June 2007, only days before the end of the German presidency of the EU. Et puis, uh What is more, she did not want to dwell on failure. If Lisbon was not happening, we would dwell on failed treaty. That was not possible. But this European enthusiasm wasn't just a pure impulse of europhilia, was it? It's just that it doesn't sound like Merkel. Ever since the Treaty of Nice, all these institutional changes take part in the transcription in EU law of a new geopolitical situation created by the reunification of Germany. From now on, Germany and France are not equal anymore, as Germany accounts for 20 million people more than France, and they are richer. Therefore, Germany became the most important European country, so much so that anything that reinforces the European system reinforces Germany in its lead. As such, it makes sense for Germany to put its house in order. So, this new treaty is somehow adapting Europe to Germany's new demographic weight and political clout. Hence, it would mean more power for Germany. The German-French romance that wasn't her cup of tea. Even if I remember something that French minister Michel Alliot-Marie said when I interviewed her. I went to check my recording. Angela Merkel often talked to me about Jacques Chirac. For instance, she liked how he would greet her with a kiss on her hand. I don't know about the hand kissing, but one thing's for sure. Europe was one of the most poisonous issues in French politics. And while Angela Merkel was haggling on a revamped treaty, the French would vote for the new president in May 2007. Angela Merkel could only hope for Jacques Chirac's successor to be a conservative as well. Nicolas Sarkozy, a man with a plan. And the name of that plan, same but different. Ce traité simplifié, c'est la France. Here's how he sees things. France can't go through a new referendum on this. So, he has the idea of coming up with a new text, similar enough to get the gist of the reforms that were prepared by the original treaty, but still different enough so that people wouldn't see the, well, scam. The episode helped establish the working relationship between the two leaders, which was difficult at first. At first, it was more difficult for her to establish a relationship of trust with Nicolas Sarkozy. Then, as their discussions progressed, she was able to do so. It was a necessity for both. Moreover, Merkel is someone very much action-oriented. But we must also leave the relationship between Berlin and Paris aside to understand Europe. One thing that surprised me in my reporting is what happened in March 2007. All European leaders are in Berlin to celebrate the 50th anniversary of another treaty. This time, the Treaty of Rome, which created the European Economic Community, the older sister of the EU we know today. It is a big test for Angela Merkel. If she wants all the EU countries to agree on a new treaty, now is the time to present her best arguments. In an eloquent speech, she takes the fall of the Berlin Wall as an example, or as a symbol, rather, of what Europe should thrive towards. 
If they had to say goodbye to a European constitution, they shouldn't give up on renewing the face of European politics. But the most interesting, as most summitries of that sort, happen backstage. Merkel takes the very conservative Polish leader Lech Kaczynski aside when he hesitates on giving his green light. Angela Merkel spoke about her youth, why she believed in the European project. She, who knows what it means to have lived on the wrong side of the Iron Curtain. Like Poland and the ex-Soviet satellite states who joined the bloc in 2004. And if she believes in Europe, so can he. Reading about this made me realize something. The shows I watched, the articles I read about Merkel, they all took on a Western European perspective. Much like European politics in general, it was dominated by a sort of um, Western gaze. And that's a shame, because that's one of Merkel's great assets in the EU. She is a privileged interlocutor for Eastern European countries. She understands them. The journalist Florence Autré. To understand this, one needs to go back, without retracing all her life, to the fact that the biggest difference between Merkel and the other Western leaders in Europe was that she did not grow up attached to this mythology of the French-German couple. She does not ignore it. However, as she grew up in East Germany, her representation of the world opposed the communist bloc against the capitalist bloc. According to her, the European Union, or the European communities at the time, is not something concrete. It is a part of the Western camp. For years now, Europe and Angela Merkel have witnessed how the governments of those countries have put the rule of law and human rights in peril. In Poland, women's rights are being violated and the justice system is losing its independence. Meanwhile, in Hungary, freedom of press and of academics is being jeopardized, and the LGBTQ community is increasingly being victim of the institutionalized discrimination and violence. To top it off, corruption is booming in both their political spheres. This is what Judith Dempsey told me about Merkel's relationship with Eastern Europe. Dempsey is a well-renowned journalist and senior fellow at Carnegie Europe. So Merkel could have been much, much tougher. Why didn't she? Because of the past. Uh, I don't think Merkel wants Germany to be seen to be ganging up on Poland and Hungary and other Eastern Central European countries because of the legacy of the past. I don't think we can underestimate this. And that's the first point. And secondly, despite so few proper speeches on Europe, Merkel didn't want the, this kind of East-West divide to be permanent. Germany had been a strong advocate for the 2004 enlargement. There was a historical reason for this. Before World War II, there was an important German diaspora in Eastern and Central Europe. After the war, Hungary, Poland, Czechoslovakia, as well as the Balkans, expelled Germans from their territory. Some of them had been living in these areas for generations. So there's a strong historical bond between the Germans and those countries. But even if she doesn't want the East-West divide to be permanent, it still very much exists today. 
on the 3rd of December 2020, an open letter was signed by 13 organizations advocating for human rights and transparency. It's addressed to Merkel. At the time, Merkel was heading the presidency of the EU. And like every time Germany takes on the presidency, expectations are high. This is just one example. The sole fact that we are asking ourselves who's gonna handle that debate once Merkel's gone. That tells us a lot about how very much present the East-West divide still is, and how difficult dialogue between the two remains to this day. I remembered that the professor in comparative politics at University of Missouri, Joyce Mushaben, had told me something about that. I think she has close relationships with the countries. She doesn't have a close relationship with these horrible, terrible, nationalistic, populistic leaders who are rolling back on democratic institutions and reforms. Uh, Kaczynski in Poland or Orban in Hungary. Those are difficult cases. She still has a lot of empathy and sympathy and, you know, understands the history of those countries, understands the needs of those countries, and they love her. But Eastern countries don't want to be West-blamed about what the rule of law is. And the way that France and Germany wanted to use the latest revival budget as a leverage on Hungary and Poland is symptomatic of that structural imbalance. And who knows what effect Merkel's departure will have on that. In the end, the Lisbon Treaty was a victory. She handled negotiations and closed the deal. As the year of 2007 came to an end, the treaty was signed, and two years later, it would become effective. It enhanced citizens' participation and gave more power to the parliament, which meant more democratic transparency. But don't get too comfortable, Angie, because if you are on a clock this time, there was no ticking bomb. Something's about to crash, and with no warning sign. My question to Angela Merkel. La mia domanda ad Angela Merkel. Ma question a Angela Merkel. Mi pregunta Angela Merkel. A Europod series. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Do you want to hear more podcasts that get to the bottom of things that stand out in the ambient noise? Join Europod. 
subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our newsletter. Follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Discover our brand new website at www.europod.eu and join us in our fight. Europod, clear the noise, start to listen.